I feel healthier and my constipation's gone too. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I've somehow acquired this bizarre ability and I've got a job at a club with it. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Psychokinesis. Really good title, Psychokinesis, although it could be a horror film. It sounds like um, a rock song by Disturbed in like 2002. Oh, yeah. And maybe like Slipknot. Maybe yeah. I'm thinking of the psychosocial baby mashup between Slipknot and Justin Bieber. Oh, I ooh, I have heard that, yeah. but I is it because it's a baby? Yeah, it goes, yeah, yeah, baby, baby. No, yeah. it's a little bit different, but you get the idea. Hi, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. welcome. Well, you're John Oliver now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've got a little bit of the British accent. <laughs> yep. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the only podcast about movies. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, hello. And we are the only podcast about movies. Yeah. Don't let anyone else tell you differently. We're the only one. Also, don't look anywhere else <laughs> but where you found this feed because you don't have to. Just we're trust like us. the worst uh, new girlfriend. We're like the the you know the new girlfriend that's just just like we're the only ones. You know what I mean? Let's even let's say we're or the boyfriend. Oh yeah, yeah I was gonna boyfriend. say or anyone you're dating. Yeah, the yeah. new like yeah. We're the new partner that's yes. the worst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome so, to the podcast. I hope you're into that. Um Cheer, <laughs> buddy, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh busy as usual, but mm-hmm. then so are you. You have taken up a new place among the internet. Yeah, it's 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 been a weird ride. Uh for those of you who don't know, I am uh I have joined the extra credits team as the narrator and showrunner. Uh uh, their wonderful YouTube channel on uh, on on the internet box. Please check us out. We do a whole bunch of stuff. Basically, the motto is because learning matters. They've changed it uh, from because games matter because it used to just be about video games. Now it's about video games, history, sci-fi, politics. We just launched Extra Politics, which is a fantastic series. Uh, everyone should check that out. It basically talks about the gamification of the American political system and how politicians actually play it. Okay. And it is terrifying and when you once you see it you're like oh god damn it's so true it's <laughs> it's it's very interesting it's in a way i guess uh, maybe by broadening out into politics you're basically saying there is a gamification of almost every facet of our lives and this is why extra credits is important yeah because it's about how games work right? yes exactly exactly so uh yeah i've been working on a lot of that stuff and everyone's been super nice obviously dan the original voice is the is i mean he's been doing it for 10 years yeah. and i'm jumping in there now yeah. and 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 people have been overall like really if, if they, they either you know they really like what I'm doing or they don't like what I'm doing but they are being like constructively criti- like it's the community is great is what I'm saying is okay. the criticism I'm getting is constructive and I'm listening and we're trying to we're trying to do the whole thing out so it's it's good to go so if you're an extra credits uh, listener and and are joining us for the first time welcome we appreciate having you here and uh, I mean this is <laughs> I'm saying this like this has something to do with me I have no res- I have no relationship you are 50 percent of this which <laughs> means we're married by internet law by by definition then in my 20 Five percent of extra credits. You are no, because you haven't done anything on it yet. The second you get a, that's a, fine. A I'm bean, good with that. A bean person. Um, um, but 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 also, uh, if you think if learning matters, then then you have come to maybe the wrong place for movies because we're just gonna gas bag for the life. Untrue. <laughs> I think we are very educational. Um, and and educated. And we are so educated. And if you'd like to be educated alongside us about anything film related, please email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. 
gmail.com, or you can get a hold of us at Only Movie Pod on Twitter. Um, we actually have a lot of of uh, listener f- uh, feedback and or statements today. Yeah, um, I and a lot of this goes back to our Deadpool review, which you can download um, uh, from any streaming service that you listen to. Um, but I want to come to a couple of emails that came in response to Deadpool 2. Um, this one coming in from Steve. I was listening to your Deadpool 2 review, and I agree that the amount of violence was a bit too much, even for a Deadpool movie. While I've always been a huge X-Men fan, it was exciting to see how they will bring X-Force to the screen, Deadpool 2 seemed to be more in love with the ultra-violent gore and silly jokes and referential humor than it was with taking these characters seriously when they need to be. Um, now, so just a, a side note there on our episode of Deadpool 2, I think I kind of went on a little tangent about um, having a little bit of difficulty with the film because uh, of the ultraviolence in it. But but not just because of that, because there was a baby in the audience of my screening. Right. And I think that put me in the frame of mind to think about the violence slightly differently than I would had I, you know, had I just been watching it on my own or watching it in an in a audience filled with people my age. You looked at it from a more human perspective. Yeah, a little bit. Or a little bit more like, what does a baby think about this? Yeah. Um, so I... And we also have uh, Jennifer emailing us. And do you want to read out Jennifer's email? Sure. Hey, Jennifer. Thanks for writing. Uh, We have this email that goes a little something like this. I don't know how to reconcile the film exploiting and wantingly revealing the hyperviolence that Deadpool inflicts while also trying to tell Russell that violence isn't the answer. Both Russell and Deadpool were victims of abuse uh, who didn't feel like they could rely on anyone who want to turn to extreme violences to right the wrongs done to them. But for Deadpool, the violence is okay and shown to us for entertainment. Entertainment, but for Russell, it's going to mark him forever, turning him into a bloodthirsty monster. Uh, I think that's uh, incredibly true. Yeah. Um, um, I think when we were discussing uh, violence there, I think, you know, the thing I said in that episode, um, and I wanted to go on a, a much broader side tangent about this uh, because it's an area of, uh, of interest that I have. Um, but I think, you know, like, I don't want to suggest in any way that Deadpool 2 has to address violence in society, uh, in relation to the way we watch cinema or anything like that. Yes. I don't, don't want to suggest that Deadpool 2, uh, is even a film about, uh, violence. You know, it, it basically, it glorifies and enjoys violence. And I don't think that is necessarily problematic. I think the reason I found it problematic, um, in my experience was because there was a baby in the room, because, uh, the Santa Fe shooting had just happened, because we are having an ongoing conversation about gun violence in our culture and society. And I think there is an important conversation to be had around the role that media and entertainment plays in that. But the... the, the I, what I don't want to do is uh, we've seen politicians uh, since the Parkland shootings and Santa Fe shootings, uh, particularly on the Republican side, uh, suggest that um, uh, violent movies are the primary... Uh, reason to blame for those shootings. And we've also seen suggested that pornography is the primary reason to blame. We've had a senator uh, get up and say <laughs> pornography is the main root cause of uh, of the Santa Fe shooting. Oh, man, I'd love to see the cash of that senator's uh, internet history. We'd yeah. see exactly how, how he's doing. The uh, I think the co- the question is is far more complex than than suggesting that, and I and I don't think that movies are uh, the sole issue at play here. There are obviously 
um, uh, you know, we've seen uh, whenever there's a case of a copycat crime that's right. copied from a movie, it's obviously we get into this question of causation versus correlation. Is does the movie directly cause someone to do something, or does it correlate with that person's instinctual behavior? So if a person was more likely to kind of right, commit right, violence, right. did the film kind of just kind of nudge them in the right direction? And the thing I think. Um, there's a lot of history to this topic. Um, it's, uh, as I say, it's a, it's a particular area of interest for me. Um, Matt, how do you feel about, you know, the role of violence in movies? If you were, you know, like thinking about that it, within the framework of America, do we, do we accept that America as a country has a problem with gun violence? And if we do, then how does every industry respond to it? I think there's no denying that our country has a uh, a gun problem because guns keep killing uh, children at, at places of education. And, so, and in a way that doesn't happen in any other country. Right. Yeah. Um, so so there's definitely stuff that should be. I mean, everyone should be clamoring to figure out what they can do. Every industry. I yeah. mean, uh, as far as films go. Um, it's, it's a bit of a twofold thing cause you don't want to censor things. Uh, but at the same time, you might want to think a little bit more about what you are creating and why you are creating it and the true audience in which you're creating it for. Right. Um, because you know, movies have ratings and we can only do so much. And obviously, you know, people at movie theaters are normally, you know, not being paid a ton and don't really care that much. And, and, and kids who are below the age for R rated movies are getting into R rated movies all the time. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, there needs to be an overhaul of sort of that enforcement system. I think there needs to be a bit of an overhaul in in the advertising and the marketing budget, because at the end of the day, you know, you, you'll get more people for your R-rated film if you kind of sort of a little bit market it towards kids. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think Deadpool is a kid case study because I think that is a movie that is a, you know, attempting to be a four quadrant movie, you know, yeah. like, and so appealing to kids is one of those things. And it's interesting because Deadpool as a character is very Bugs Bunny. He, yeah. and, and again, I don't, I'm not saying that Deadpool shouldn't be done in this way or, or whatever. I think, um, it's just a matter of trying to figure out and taking a little bit of responsibility for the idea that this is being shown to, uh, to, you know, people that are young, young people, I guess that, might not be able to understand it or don't have, for instance, or don't have the social or, or familial structures to dissect it comfortably and, and ingest it in the, in a sort of, uh, non broken way. And yeah. again, I'm not saying that Deadpool two is causing violence, but I will say like, and I said it in the podcast, the, the violence in Deadpool two, especially in the beginning when he's just like mowing down what who people were told are bad people. Yeah. It was so violent I got bored and that's a terrifying psychological place for me to be in. And I dissect this shit for a living. Yeah. So to be that bored with violence, even though it's, it's made to look really cool like that, that to me, like the violence in Deadpool played for jokes is a little bit more in my line of like sort of cartoony. Like when uh, spoiler alert, a character gets falls into a wood chipper that you don't think would like that would ever happen to. And it's played for a laugh and it's, and it's like, you don't see excessive gore except for like blood splatter out of the thing. But like, there's a long scene in the beginning of this film where Deadpool is just going through a warehouse, hacking people to pieces. Yeah. And, uh, it's and and that's not played for a laugh. That's played for look how cool this looks. Yeah. But when you do that so much, where that cool thing just becomes benign, yeah. Then you have to sort of start thinking about. It. So just back to the question in general, 
of, of what Jennifer asked too. Uh, I think the reason why it's a very stark thing again in Deadpool two is because the, one of the main plot points of this film is exactly what she said. This young character, if this, he, if this character turns and kills one person who is admittedly a bad person in this yeah. film, yeah. uh, then it kicks this character off on an arc that makes them become a murderous supervillain in the future, causing Cable's family to die and then starting the whole process of this thing again. And to have Deadpool be the person that uh, is trying to teach this lesson, yeah. like, but yet still killing is a little awkward. I would be interested. I need to watch it again. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, he's hacking and slashing and killing and whatever, and then bad things happen to him. And then he kind of goes through, he he doesn't murder, straight up murder people the same way he does. So maybe there is a bit of a change, but the movie's tone doesn't reflect it. Like even if you count like the body count in the beginning versus after he tries to help Russell, yeah. uh, may, I think the body count does go down for him <laughs> yeah. but i don't know if it matters or the movie's definitely not trying to say that in yeah. an overt way so i do think there is a bit of a contradiction in the film that if you look at it too closely uh and not too closely just closely uh it can take some enjoyment out of it i found the russell storyline very moving but when you do look at it through this these lenses uh it 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 still can be moving but it makes less sense right Narr narr narratively yeah and i think i think that's a that's a good approach um that jennifer pointed out and i think that you speak about as well as that looking at what the film is trying to say and how does the violence play into what it's trying to say um to me uh yeah i again i'm sort of less uh I, I, I don't want to put this on Deadpool 2 because I think Deadpool 2 is a satire in yeah. some way and it is supposed to parody violence, but I think it enjoys and indulges in the violence a little too much. Um, but it, that's not really what its main raison d'etre is. Um, the, the, the thing I, you know, when, when, I, when I think about this subject, um, there's one person that comes to mind and that's Stanley Kubrick. Mm. And in 1971, Stanley Kubrick released A Clockwork Orange. A few years later, uh, after a number of copycat uh, crimes that were committed by people who were quoting his movie or or suggesting that they had been inspired by that Kubrick himself uh, voluntarily withdrew the film from public distribution in London um, and he was like and and he has a complex relationship with this and I, I want to bring up a quote here it's a slightly long one but just bear with me because I think it'll it'll kind of Okay. Uh, uh, go into this, but, but Stanley Kubrick said, there has always been violence in art. There is violence in the Bible, violence in Homer, violence in Shakespeare, and many psychiatrists believe that it serves as a catharsis rather than a model. Mm -hmm. I think the question of whether there has been an increase in screen violence, and if so, what effect that this has had, is to a very great extent a media-defined issue. I know there are well-intentioned people who sincerely believe that films and TV contribute to violence, but almost all of the official studies of this question have concluded that there is no evidence to support this view. At the same time, I think the media tend to exploit the issue because it allows them to display and discuss the so-called harmful things that they, from a lofty position of moral superiority. Films and television are also a convenient whipping boys for politicians because they allow them to look away from the social and economic causes of crime about which they are either unwilling or unable to do anything. And so the thing to remember here is Kubrick, Kubrick basically understands that A Clockwork Orange does not incite violence. Right. He basically he he understands that there are no official studies that support this 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 idea that that movies cause violence. Sure. 
But at the same time, he saw that that violent acts were being committed in the name of his film. And I think he was actually also getting death threats himself. And so he voluntarily withdrew the film. Now, he is a filmmaker of extreme stature at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Warner Brothers basically gives him carte blanche to do whatever he wants. And he agrees to, like, take the movie from distribution and was taken out of British distribution for many years. It was banned, Um, effectively self-banned. Right. Um, And that's a really interesting thing to think about because he wants people to understand his movie but he's saying the second that someone does something in the name of their movie in the name of his movie even though he doesn't believe his movie caused them to do it he's going to withdraw it and take it out of public circulation because he doesn't want to be a contributor to that to the potentiality that that happened. Well, it sounds almost like to the conversation. Like, he doesn't want to be able to have politicians point at him and be like, look, because the violence is going to happen one way or the other. It's just it, they chose to put it on this film. Well, I think I, I think the thing there is he's saying, uh, essentially, I want to really think about the people who are watching my movie. And even though I don't think... You know, I think there are bigger cause, you know, like uh, cause, causative functions here, like, you know, economic and social instability. I want to re- withdraw this from the public conversation because I don't feel comfortable having put something out there. Now, would the makers of Deadpool feel the same way if, for example, uh, some sort of shooting involving a child was directly linked to their film. And, yeah. and would they do that? Would the studio do that? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think it's a complex issue, and I don't think that films are the primary uh, thing to look at, as Kubrick said in that, in, that, in that question. And I think also filmmakers should have the right to express themselves freely, and one of those things is being able to express themselves in satire, express themselves in extreme violence, express themselves with sexuality. I think there's a, there's a one thing is there's a fair imbalance in the way we treat uh, sex and sexuality right. uh, versus the way we treat uh, gun violence. A film, uh, Jennifer uh, and Steve, to look at and to think about maybe is a documentary called This Film Is Not Yet Rated by Jack Kirby. Ah, yes. Um, which is an examination of how the MPAA works. Uh, I don't think it's a great, great movie, but I think it introduces us to a lot of um, uh, topics around how how we broadly consider violence in cinema and sex and sexuality. Um, so I would I would look to those films, and I think uh, Jennifer and Steve or anyone else listening, if you have further questions about this, maybe this is a topic we could actually dissect in some detail. We should do an episode about it because, yeah. again, I am fascinated by the fact that, especially in American culture, be it cinema or television or whatever, uh, that okay, so violence, which is a thing that inherently in real life makes people I'll just make a global generalization here makes people feel bad. Yeah. Violence is the thing that hurts people. Yeah. But sex is the thing that generally feels good. Yeah. We we lust after violence and violence is okay uh, on things. This thing that makes that this is bad for people. Yeah. But sex in most cases when violence is not or you know then you get into consent and all that things but like it's the two things are so dichotomous to one another depending on the psychological look that you're 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 coming at it from. The thing that's designed to make you feel good is 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 taken back and held back a little bit away further away than society than the thing that is designed to make you feel bad and yeah. people find enjoyment of the bad thing. We are weird. 
No, well, we th- are weird creatures. We are, and I think I think uh, just a counterpoint there is the reason that that might be is that films, you know, as Kubrick said in that quote, allow us for catharsis, which and it's also transgressive, which means we can experience things that we wouldn't experience oh, in real life. So yeah, yeah, yeah. sex is something that we, you know, for most people, experience in real life. Yes, violence is something they don't. So a movie kind of allows that catharsis to uh, to experience it. And I think I do think this would make for an interesting subject. We've got a couple of other interesting subjects that we would do. I think deep dive debates on yeah. uh, one is uh, separating art from the artist yep. and the other one is this one which is uh, violence and cinema we're gonna write that down um, and so if you if you are a listener and think that that would be an interesting topic please write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on at onlymoviepod um, please uh, write us in with your thoughts on the subject yes, as well and, and, and how you feel about it um, because I think that would contribute uh, heavily to an interesting debate uh, and we'd love to kind of get um, we'd love to kind of maybe spawn these debates with uh, a listener focus so questions that you are interested in mm-hmm. us answering that'd be really nice um, and then yeah and all of that aside if you're if you're sick of both sex and violence <laughs> and just want to write down some thoughts about us please leave us a review on iTunes uh, whenever you get a chance We'll take as many stars as you're willing to give us. Uh, we had a lovely Twitter uh, Twitter comment from John uh, who said, just found your podcast. Thank you for seemingly being the only ones out there to realize how completely bonkers bad uh, war of the Planet of the Apes was. <laughs> um, and we had a lovely back and forth about that. Thank you, John, for that, uh, for that Twitter comment because uh, I actually have not thought about War of the Planet of the Apes uh, since we saw it, which might be a good indication of, uh, of generally how... How I don't know if I would say bad. I was sorely disappointed by that movie, having loved yeah. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, same. Um, same. Yeah. Anyway... Oh, and sorry, I was going to get into this before we jumped back. We're ping-ponging social media all over the place. Uh, we have a new listener review on that thing I was talking about on the iTunes box with some five stars. This is from uh, Jewish Dave, uh, who says, To be honest, I think you guys made me like you were never really here. That's a Shahir, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> the Shahir solo joint with uh, McCarthy. Brandon McCarthy. Yep. More than I did before I listened. And for that, your show rules. Uh, I also have a podcast about movies, but I don't because your show is the only podcast about movies. Well, I mean, Jewish Dave. Uh, Thanks, Jewish Dave. Uh, you know, we could have plugged your non-existent podcast. Yeah, had we would you... have loved to. Yeah. Um, please, Jewish Dave, uh, reach back out to us if you're listening to this episode, and we will uh, we will definitely plug your podcast and take a listen to it as well. Um, and uh, I just like your name, by the way, Jewish Dave. I wonder if, you, if your co-host is Muslim Mike. <laughs> I mean, it would be a really nice, uh, in, in this po- political climate, that'd yeah. be a really nice thing. Yeah. Anyway. Psychokinesis. We're only 23 minutes in. Let's talk about the movie that's in the title. Yeah, Psychokinesis. So I wanted to do this uh, movie for a couple of reasons. A, it's a Netflix release, which means it's easier to get to. I'm not I'm not saying that that uh, being e- easy to get to was the sole function, uh, but this was... <laughs> just really wanted to... I just I just wanted something easy. No, no. <laughs> um, the other reason was was that the, the director of this film, Sang Ho Yoon, had made a film last year that appeared on a number of top 10 lists, and it was a film that I really wanted to get to review doing um but we kind of just uh, it just slipped under the radar for us and that was trained to busan which um uh, i think for me i was uh, knowing that he had a new film on netflix psychokinesis i was like oh this is a good opportunity to kind of like do a slight review of of trained to busan or at least just watch the movie sure so uh i was excited to do that and i did watch trained to busan uh which is available also on netflix um y- matt you must watch trained to busan i've it heard is, that it is 
excellent uh, in a way. It, it refreshes the zombie genre in a way I didn't think was possible at this point. Yeah. But the other way to think about it is, did you see World War Z? Yes. Did you like World War Z? Not particularly. No, it's not a very good film. Um, but Train to Busan basically takes what I think was a really interesting scene in World War Z, which was a, a zombie outbreak on a plane. Yeah. And does it on a train. And basically makes that the entire movie and does it re- really, really well. And, and reminds me of the kind of, um, I guess it, it may be a trope to call it the Spielbergian touch, which is like finding the human story within the grander sort of disaster epic. Right. Uh, but he manages to do that and do it really well and effectively and emotionally resonant with the backdrop of zombies happening. And, and, and you know, doing that thing that I think... Um, good filmmakers do which is that making sure that your focus of what your film is is in the right place rather than making it just about you know zombies biting each other because that as a trope gets tired pretty quickly oh shahir zombies don't bite each other or yes they do they do not they must feast on each other at some point right? no they or, don't the second they're that's the whole thing it's the, it's a, it's a science mind zombie shear see once they're a zombie <laughs> they're not going to try to eat each other because the, the flesh is putrid and for whatever reason they only want that sweet sweet, sweet alive uh, flesh alive flesh yeah okay um so that made up thing has got some rules to it obviously <laughs> <laughs> uh, all the made up things have rules to them so uh, uh before we jump into psychokinesis please see uh train to busan now matt uh, the other reason I wanted to do it is that a couple of the reviews I'd read had said things along the lines of this is the finest superhero film released in the last decade. Um, and this was and I thought it might be an interesting counterpoint to the superhero films that we've been watching. Sure. Um, tell us what it's about. Uh, well, IMDb says this film is about after drinking water from a mountain spring, a bank security guard gains telekinetic powers which he must use to save his estranged daughter from an evil construction company as a superhero. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to make a bold statement up top. Okay, go. Before I even tell you my opinions of, of this film. Okay. So this has nothing to do with the film. This is just a bold statement. Is a, yeah, well, it's, it's a bold statement outside of my uh, otherwise what I think how the film did as a, as a, as a piece of media. Okay. I don't think it's a superhero movie. Okay. Um, I think it's an action movie that references superheroes, and I think it's 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 the same way a superhero movie, like that's calling The Matrix a superhero movie. Okay. Which you could, mm-hmm. but it's, I, I, I think I need to, and I didn't have time before this actual review, this is sort of something that came to me this morning when I was sort of digesting the film. I think... Um, and again, we're, this is the most funny part because you did say this thing, this imaginary thing has rules. Yeah. Like it, this is kind of what I'm doing right now. But when I think of a superhero movie, I, I think of it doesn't just have to be superpowers. It has to be kind of um, spandex. Uh, well, I think honestly, weirdly enough, a costume or an iconography have to be involved. OK, um, I, I just it, again, that's my own personal read of it. I I. Uh, I understand that it has evolved and and whatnot. But when I was watching this, even when they're like, whoa, you have superpowers. I was like, yeah, he has superpowers and he's defending people he cares about. So that's very heroic. Mm-hmm. But like there, there's kind of a, and I loved the fact he didn't have a costume. And I love mm-hmm. the fact that like I, the, the look of the entire thing. But there's a little bit of the mythos, uh, I think, of, of a, quote, superhero that uh, was not here. 
Okay. Uh, and I, again, this is in no way taking away from my enjoyment of the film. I just found it interesting that everyone was calling it a superhero film just because it had a superpower in it. Now, um, yeah, and I think I think the one thing that that's immediately interesting about this film is that the the use of the term superhero is is kind of borrowed from other films. It's, it's almost as though characters in the film have seen superhero films and are now confronted with a superpower yes. so yep. that they're kind of referencing it like that. Um, I kind of, I think this is a, an interesting topic that we will delve into um, in much detail, but, but just starting that, I think the reference points are that would be of interest here is, do you think the film uh, Unbreakable is a superhero movie? Ha. <sighs> And the other film I was going to mention as well was Hancock. Do you think Hancock those- is because he used to wear a, it's it's like a deconstruction, but it's still a superhero movie. He used to wear a costume. He used to be a full fledged superhero that has quote fallen from grace. Like so, uh, because the world that it sets up, and it's been a while since I've seen Hancock, so I'm just going off of of that side review. Hancock's uh, not a very good. Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very good two thirds of it. Oh my god, the first two thirds yeah. is great, uh, and then the plot happens. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, so what was the other one? It was Hancock and Unbreakable. Unbreakable, I think the film itself is not a superhero movie mm-hmm. until the very end, which I don't want to spoil anything because if you haven't seen Unbreakable by now, I know it's old, but you should. Yeah, it's, um, and there's a sequel coming soon. Yeah, the 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 way that story plays out, it basically if i'm i'm using this awful example but like you know that pulling off a sheet off a brand new car to finally see what kind of car it is like it's sort of that like conceit of like you've been watching this whole thing and you don't quite know what it is and then oh my god last 10 minutes whoom, because of all this information yeah. superhero movie so like it's it's hiding the fact that it's a superhero movie entirely until the very end because the mythos of what a superhero is plays very strongly into the last bit of that film. Okay. Um, it's almost used as a surprise. It's a very uh, Shyamalan, uh, <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan, Ding Dong. What a twist. Uh, sort of uh, conceit of how he tells stories. So again, I, again, I don't want to downplay uh, my enjoyment of this film by calling it not a superhero movie. I was just... Um, I think because all I'd heard about it was it's the greatest superhero movie. And I was like, it's a great movie. Well, I think, again, I <laughs> I feel like these are broad topics because I do want to, we want to get into like, should people see this movie or not and, yes. and deconstruct the movie Let's itself. But, but I think that's a, because what you've sort of, um, I started to identify as what is the litmus test for what you define a superhero movie is. And I think there's a sort of overall taxonomy of, of items that you could kind of put into that list. And for you, I think uh, iconography is one thing. So the suggestion that there is superhero, you know, a, a superhero costume, perhaps a villain is part of that uh part of that lexicon maybe also uh i think um the the superpower there was an interesting quote yesterday um that came out from terry gilliam terry gilliam is currently on the road uh promoting his film the man from don quixote Mm -hmm. he was in an interview and he was asked uh the question um what do you think a a film like yours the the man from don quixote is going to do in a superhero influenced world now that you know basically the primary uh, mode of entertainment are superhero movies right now, just as westerns were back in the day. And, you know, Gilliam kind of went on this sort of tirade, which everyone is kind of, you know, uh, putting everywhere. But I think he did say one interesting thing in this. And he said, he basically said, I hate superheroes. It's bullshit. Come on, grow up. We're not going to be teenagers for the rest of our lives. It's great to dream of great power. Superheroes are all about power. That's what I don't like, like about superheroes. They've got to beat other powerful superheroes. Come on, a bit of peace, love, and understanding is what we need. I think, you know, again, 
take it when context Terry Gilliam is tired and and basically asked a question that's not related to his film. Yeah, and kind of <laughs> that's know, very true. You know, like you, you, I always, you know, when when you hear a quote like that being clickbaited around, you should just very carefully, you know, don't don't be like, oh my god, Terry Gilliam, he doesn't like superhero movies. It's the nineteen hundred thousandth bajillionth time he's been asked a thing that has nothing to do with the film he's on his press junket for, probably. and he's probably just like, you okay, fine, yeah, yeah. sure, exactly. Like, and it's the th- but oddly, it's the one thing that gets repeated out, uh, uh, you know, like in every website. Man, but I, I, I would crack so hard in a press tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing the thing that I really liked about there, and I guess this comes down to that sort of taxonomy of of the what are the elements that make up a superhero film that I think, are, you know, we're going to talk about in detail with this film in particular. Uh, the thing that I think is interesting is the power fantasy. Um, I think superhero films tend to fulfill a power fantasy that we all have. You know, can we fly? Could we uh, use our mind to alter the fabric of reality as we understand it. Yeah. Now, later superhero films, as the genre has evolved, um, things like Watchmen and obviously Justice League and the Avengers, what have you, all kind of get into um, a different frame of reference where superheroes exist in the world. And we all understand that superheroes are a thing. And so we start, you know, those films start questioning the consequences of powers in the world. Sure. But I think the thing that's interesting about psychokinesis is that psychokinesis is um and this is unique because it is uh you know according to wikipedia and and i would have to do some further research to to figure out if this is actually the case um psychokinesis is the first korean superhero movie so there haven't been superhero movies made in south korea up until this point Mm -hmm. and i think the interesting thing here is this plays into the primary reason that i think superhero movies kind of fulfill as a function which is do they fulfill, do they kind of give us a power fantasy? And the power fantasy here is really specific. Um, this is a power fantasy involving a true case that happened in South Korea. So the the thing that happens in this film is uh, a young girl, Rumi, uh, who's the daughter of the Sid bank teller, yes. um, uh, has, a, has a little restaurant as part of a community of restaurants that is stated to, that is slated to be demolished. Um, the, the, the construction company that is going to demolish these uh, buildings are sending in basically thugs to like rip people out of there and they're kind of squatting and it becomes a standoff between um, these thugs and 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 the community that lives there already. You got a real lay Miz situation going on yeah, with, exactly. with the wall of junk. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and and the, the this I I think if you're a Korean film uh, uh, audience watching this, um, the echoes of what happens here are very familiar to the Yongsun incident, which is uh, basically the almost identical scenario where a community of people who lived in these uh, watchtowers, which was slated for dem- a demolition, um, basically walled up into into their uh, watchtowers and started throwing Molotov cocktails. Five people died. A couple of police officers died. Um, uh, the police force... Um, was slated uh, the, the the judiciary on this case uh, slated that the that the people the tenants were were to blame because they fired off the Molotov cocktails, but they did the the judiciary didn't also acknowledge that they had a legitimate gripe and they were basically being ripped out of their homes at the time. So you know we, we you have echoes of that mm-hmm. and introduced into this film is basically that same scenario, but with a power fantasy of a character who can basically level the playing field or equalize it in a way that pushes it in favor of the social justice that the social inequality that's happening. And I think that's an interesting, interesting framework to watch this film in is that it has a very specific 
a point of view when it comes to the superhero fantasy. And it also points that fantasy, in, as you said, in not only in a specific direction, but in a smaller direction. And in a I much think, smaller And direction. I think as our superhero films have ballooned, mm-hmm. uh, the need for a smaller feeling films that sort of do a lot of the same you know, mm-hmm. things, but just in a in a much lessened scale. The world isn't in peril. It's not even like a it's not even like there's a um, another bad person with the same level of abilities as this guy. No. Uh, yeah. Which I really enjoyed. Uh, it's just it's literally as you said if it's a power fantasy then it is leveling out that level of power if the if the power on one side is money and government Mm -hmm. the power on the other side of these people is literally a dude who can push things around with his mind yeah there's Um, there's an interesting uh conversation that happens in this film which deals with who actually, you know, like do it's basically, I, I guess this is a spoiler, but there's a character later on uh, who, who's kind of the closest thing we have to a big bad. Um, and she sits down with our hero and she says, she says this quote, which I thought was really great. Um, Those with real power aren't people like us. They were born to win. And do you know what they can do? Do you think that they can fire energy waves or something? No, they have power over this country, the Republic of Korea. The country itself is their power. Everyone else, including you and me, are just slaves to the society. Why can't you accept it? Know your place. That's the lesson you're learning from getting your daughter arrested. Yeah. And I think, I think there's an interesting framework there. Stepping aside from all of that, do I think this is a good film? I do not. Okay. Uh, I, think, I think the film, like my, my initial watching of it was that it is a, there is a sort of a clunkiness with the tonal shifts that, that happen in this movie. It's basically trying to tell these two stories with almost two separate kind of tones to them. One is the story of this daughter who's being evicted from this building by force in this community that's kind of like trying to fight back against it. And there's a, you know, there's a death that happens very early in the film. Her mother basically gets killed. Yeah. In a beginning's really, real dark. Yeah. In a really, really rough way. It's, it's, it's like I, I gasped out loud when it happened. Um, it's it, the first few minutes of the film, so it's not really a spoiler. And it never, this is, this is a minor spoiler, I guess, but it never gets that dark again. No, and it immediately switches to kind of a slap stick comedy because the father played by um uh sung rong you ryu is is, you know almost he almost exists in a a different film you know he's got this sort of like buffoonish way about him and he ingests this this liquid which makes him a superhero that he kind of has to deal with and the movie bounces between those two things in a way that i don't feel is complimentary sure and and doesn't really pay off let me ask you this how much south korean film have you watched well, I used to teach South Korean film. Oh, then you're great. So you got this. So, so let me let me let me then just. Say, so I came from this back in college, and again, I admittedly probably haven't watched as much as you. But back in college, I went on a huge South Korea, uh, Taiwanese, uh, Japanese, so sort of all that side of the world. East Asian uh, uh, film, but yeah. like almost like the action. Uh, supernatural side of those films. I bought a region-free DVD player. I was popping R3s in there left and right. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite films that I still, to this day, don't know the full plot of because it doesn't come with a subtitle track <laughs> is The Resurrection of the Little Match Girl. Right. Uh, also, at movies like Guns and Talks and like things like that. All of these movies that have very serious like topics in a weird way all do or a lot of them do when it gets into this action space seemingly have this odd tonal shift of slapdash like slapstick comedy sort of stuff like intertwined with it or there'll at least be one character that is tonally outside of what the rest of the stuff is doing and i've noticed that 
throughout. I want to, have you have you seen that, or is that something that's that is maybe a confirmation bias as to the type of films that I have watched? It definitely occurs, and I think I think you know the the we talked about this in our review for The Handmaiden. Um, oh yes, the, the Chung, Chunwook Park film. Um, there is a when you're when you're studying films of another country that's not your own. You, I think you have to be a little cautious not to um, generalize an entire a, a film as belonging to an entire. Uh, genre, uh, an entire sp- subset of films, you know, like you can't, you, you, you shouldn't, I, I think it's, you sort of get into this ethnographic argument about like, does a film represent an entire country? Sure. You know, in the same way is like, you wouldn't say Deadpool 2 is entirely representative of all that is American cinema. <laughs> You know, you might you might say that, but 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 you know that mischaracterizes say all independent American cinema. Right, right. Um, right. So so you have to, you know, if we when and I think we should do this conversation. I just I just want to make sure that we we don't do that thing that suggests that we know everything about Korean cinema. Of course, based on this one two I, one or two things or Korean culture. Yeah, I think your Deadpool your Deadpool <laughs> scenario is actually kind of the point I'm I'm making because. I think Deadpool 2 100% does encapsulate a large chunk of big budget mainstream cinema. And you could ex- you could extrapolate from Deadpool 2 a sense of what American culture is like. Right. And I think and I think you can certainly do that. I just I'm you got to be cautious about be- cultures you don't know or understand because it's not all that's not built the same and it's not all like that. I was just saying for and again, I think it is a lot of confirmation bias on my own point because of the style of films from the time period in which I watch, which is basically between like uh I don't know, maybe 2000 and 2007 is really where I sort of deep dove. Well, so and the the two most famous Korean filmmakers uh, on the planet are Bong Joon Ho and Chan Wook Park. Yeah, and both of those demonstrate, I think, the exact thing you're talking about. Particularly Bong Joon Ho in a film like The Host, even his film Memories of Murder, mm. um, has that kind of tonal shift. But I think the thing that 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 I respond to in those two films, even Chan Wook Park's film, I, I mean, Old Boy is a good example, yeah. which has not quite slapstick comedy, but it has elements of absurdist comedy yes. in amongst. A fairly heavy story. Um, uh, the host does as well. Uh, the host has this incredibly funny scene that is about the death of a family member, and and it's it's funny, weird, and and resolves in in like sadness. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's a really good example of that tonal shift that I have seen in those two filmmakers. Um, that is far more congruous and successful than I saw in Psychokinesis. Um, it, it doesn't quite. Work here. And and the thing that I think is um um maybe have set me up for failure in sort of in in my enjoyment of psychokinesis is that uh Train to Busan is a tonally really consistent and tight film. Uh. So so this sort of jumping between these two genres doesn't land. And I and I think but I think fundamentally the story doesn't like allow these two kind of tonal shifts to land in interesting ways. And I think the, the the fact that the two tonal shifts don't actually gel together might be why I felt a little bit disparate from the actual like caring of what the characters cared about in a yeah, weird totally, way. Totally. So for instance, um while I did think the performances mm-hmm. were really good and this is this might come to from I I'm always questioning if like I miss something when I watch a film that's not done in a language mm-hmm. that I yeah. natively understand because yeah. you're reading and you're not getting all the, the subtleties and, and yeah, things like that. Yeah. But like so the story is this guy left his daughter and his family when when the daughter was 10 years old 
and then the mother suffers this accident or not really an accident. Not and really then, an accident. Yeah. And then, um, and then at the funeral, he comes back because the daughter calls to, cause she found the number in the phone. And then there's sort of this like rekindling of their relationship alongside with him deciding to use his newfound, uh, spring based superpowers, um, uh, to help her cause. Yeah. Now that's all fine and good, but I never got, uh, Especially, and I think it's probably from the whiplash of the tone shifting back and forth. I never really understood, like, they grew closer or, like, had, I'll even put it in air quotes, growth. Yeah. Because the script told them they had to. I right. never saw a moment where, like, even when they had these father-daughter interactions, nothing felt to me like an actual conversation between a father and a daughter. It's just like, oh, and well, and now, because we've talked more, I care more. And now, like, and, and I know that might be... Um, uh, uh, a verbal cue thing. It might be the fact that I'm reading it. Maybe the emotion doesn't read as much because my eye is blinking down to subtitles and back up to faces. Right. It could be all of that. But I didn't feel like, and I think that in conjunction with the tonal shifts, made me not connect to any character's one plight. Even the pl characters whom I think are in the right in the story being these people trying to fight for their places that they, uh, you know, running their businesses from instead of this evil corporation, <laughs> comically evil corporation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it the 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 stakes of the film never land for me because I can't get behind characters or their connection to each other or really their motivations as and the tonal shift really does put the father in his own little box yeah and he literally wanders into scenes like uh like a like a dotard yeah. <laughs> like just sort of like what's going on yeah oh wait. Oh no, wait, that's my, that's my daughter. And then going like, and, and doing superpower stuff. Yeah. So it never, he never had, he never felt like there was agency until maybe the time he, he gets out of jail at one point. And, and also, you know, I think the tonal shifts mean that you, there's a, there's a sort of a, a really jarring juxtaposition between what's happening with the daughter and what's happening with the dad. You know, the dad has this sort of comic idea that he's going to turn his new superpowers into um, a magic trick. Yeah. He can work uh, at a club. He work at a club and, and then he's, but then he has to go and deal with this, you know, like community that's being full, uh, you know, that's being drifted apart. And again, uh, I, I, you know, like even me who has some education in South Korean cinema, um, I still found the story of the community that's being torn apart for a mall. I didn't quite understand what was happening there or why it was happening. It was only upon reading about like what this reflects and I, and you know, that, that I kind of came to understand it but i think watching it you know from the get-go i didn't really get what the stakes were in those sequences so when the superhero kind of fight happened uh, i was like why why is this happening you know like why why can't these two groups kind of come to a consensus there's something comic about that and i and again i think because this echoes a real event but introduces a superhero element into it um there is you you have to consider how this film plays to a korean audience who knows and understands the reference point it's it's almost it's almost as though if you it's not quite the same thing, but I'm, and I'm using this as an example, and I hope I don't, this example doesn't offend anyone. Let's do it. But imagine if uh, we did a 9-11 movie with a superhero suddenly flying through and saving people, you, and, and you didn't know what 9-11 was. Um, your reference points for how you view the film would be very different from someone, you know, watching and understanding it. It's it, it's literally like as if, and let's even back away from 9-11 just to be safer on the analogy. Yeah. 
if Die Hard was based on a true story. Yeah, exactly. And 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 you, it would be it would be entire it would feel entirely different, even though John McClane's cracking jokes, if it was culturally relevant that like there was a terrorist attack on this building. But this leads me to this interesting question, which I think, you know, again, I, I don't I don't I don't highly recommend the movie by any means. But I think the movie allows us to have an interesting conversation around this question of what what do superheroes what do superhero films function for us as a society? And I, and I think about that Terry Gilliam quote, which is the power fantasy. And, and I think, you know, if we think about, again, the 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 genre taxonomy the 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 sort of categorization and listing of 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 how we identify what a genre is um i think the power fantasy is an interesting element to it and 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 i wonder if this allows us to broaden that conversation because the power fantasy here is really specific. He gets a specific power that he only uses for this thing. And it doesn't quite make sense because, um, and, and again, I think this is a sort of an interesting topic about Korean culture because his, uh, everyone's submission to authority in this film is unwavering, even in the face of an un- unequal power yeah so for example um uh mr shin the the person you know uh, uh the main character uh sokyon shin um basically has the power to break free from any prison he has but he never uses it when he's arrested he you know like he can he can fly he can actually like he can move how you know he can move buildings he can move whole cars and that sort of thing but police come and arrest him and he just kind of okay all right i'm gonna go there and then he gets put into prison and the and the conclusion of this film also has him go to prison for four years but he still retains his power it's interesting too now we're gonna get we've been talking about this movie for a while now we're getting to towards the end of the episode so now it's going to be full-blown spoiler town so uh be prepared um the the interesting thing is he's he's arrested once for a thing he didn't quite do like it's like a minor infraction then he finds out his daughter is is like it's the last stand of the daughter and the people in the area so he breaks out and flies over there to fight them the interesting part about that is after the fight nothing changes no nothing changes and he gets arrested and he gets arrested and And, he decides to go away for four years and they drive up to the end uh, where where the big battle happened and he's like why are we stopped it's like you know you don't recognize this place here's the empty lot where all the stuff was broken down but because the company made bad business decisions they couldn't actually build the thing they wanted so they just cleared the lot and made it just this dirt patch i actually thought that was really poignant it was super poignant (laughs) that was one of my favorite things in the movie but like it was just so like Nothing changed during the superhero battle. And then even after he lost, everyone still loses, including the corporation, because they're bad at their jobs. Yeah. Like, and it's just, it was a very like, oof, this is real. And then the 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 end conceit is they drive up to a different spot where now the daughter is running her fried chicken restaurant out of a truck and it's called Superpower Chicken. It's got yeah. a cool uh, like neon sign of the, the father lifting stuff and he like floats beers and it's all funny. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because it paints a picture that basically, this is what I got from it. Yeah. Fight as, as hard as you can. Corporations will always win. Corporations will always screw themselves over. And the common people will always be able to find a way to just sort of like continue to be happy doing something. Right. And that's a weird, 
that might be a cultural thing. <laughs> I, I think I think the the thing is here is, as well is that is that yeah, like I said, like me watching the film and our frame of reference is very much American superhero film, so yeah. very westernized. Um, we have a superhero versus a bad guy that is equally superpowered, and they're going to fight. And their fight is philosophical most of the time. You know, like their fight is about uh, a quest of ideals between one person and another person. Yeah. Um, in this situation, the the quest is less philosophical as much as it is about inequality and and there is this and and it's all kind of built upon this 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 um sense of overriding authority now we did some uh interesting work uh when we were uh, now uh, so i used to i ta'd for a course in south korean cinema and then i i gave a couple of lectures in that course as well uh, i will freely admit the person um is uh aaron Mannion park who's been on this podcast before yes. who um shout out who who was the lecturer on that uh, in that uh, subject and a very 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 good academic by the way he's a uh, his work is excellent um and and uh he he basically i i felt very privileged to be working directly for him um and basically getting uh tutelage from a master in in, in both east asian cinema and korean cinema um and learning a lot about the historical context from which we watch films um and I think there we we did some interesting reading and material there. There was a particular book called The Remasculization of uh, of Korean Cinema, um, which talked about the way in which masculinity in uh, Korean identity had been uh, subjugated under both the Japanese occupation and the industrialization of the late 1980s. And it basically means that men in Korean film. Uh, tend to be emasculated and the films themselves kind of work to remasculate them. Um, so you get this overt masculinization. You see it in a film like Old Boy, for example. It's a man who is who has his privileges as a man stripped away from him and the entire film is about him rebuilding those, sure. but also having them stripped away at the end as well. And I think that character is something that we see echoed in in a number of Korean films. We see it in you know um, Bong Joon-ho's film um, Memories of Murder. We see it in Lee Chang-dong's films. Uh, Oasis in particular, and and in this film you see Mr. Shin is a character who's been emasculated um, by by the by debt. He by debt, by the system, by he's, the system, and you know he is kind of a frail man. He's he's a, he's basically a man who steals toilet paper at this point. His, his apartment is a is a shithole. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we don't really understand why that is. It's like well, he says he left the family because of the debt, but I was like, well. You could leave. You could divorce your wife, but that doesn't mean you have to leave her, right? Like, like, why does that? Why does that happen? Yeah, it, and, it didn't quite make sense. Maybe it, there's a. I don't know. There might be a cultural reason for that, but it seems odd that he basically he loves his daughter. He's not cheating on her. He's not going out to a, to another family. Is it a shame thing? It, it might be a shame thing, and 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 you see at the end, even though he kind of wins the battle, um, he still accepts that there is a, an authoritarian. Uh, uh, authoritative consequence to what he's done and he goes to prison for it and he accepts his prison uh prison term for that so i think i think you know again i don't think this is a great movie i i really want to stress that as well i think i think watching it in context uh I, i'm not enamored by this movie as much as i was by train to busan yeah. uh, or something like that and i was hoping that this would be an interesting antidote because again the reviews had been like this is the best superhero film of the decade and i think and i but i do think it, it, is a, it is an interesting counterpoint to think about superhero films as a genre as opposed to the, the, the sort of glut of superhero films that we watch from America. Now, with that in mind, your initial hot take on this film is that you don't think it's a superhero movie. 
with with the sort of thinking about superheroes in terms of an overall list of items that can be interchangeable and move and shift and thinking about superhero films as they might play to a different culture and the conversation we've just had about it does you, does your shift does your thinking change about maybe what a superhero movie is and how a superhero movie can function i still think there's a bit uh, superheroes i i the, the 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 hill i'll be willing to die on in this conversation is superheroes have a lot to do with iconography okay and this movie doesn't have any of that which right. is fine it, again it shouldn't take away from whether you like the movie or not it's just if we're classifying it yeah. I think that's one thing. I think also the thing I kept thinking about, about like power and like the, even the quote from the evil corporate lady who was, that was an amazing performance by, um, uh, uh Jung Young me, or that might've yeah. been the character. Um, I think it was Hong Sang. Yeah. Her name was miss, uh, miss, miss Kim, Kim. Miss yeah. Kim. Um, the, 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 the fact is superhero movies themselves are always the most interesting when it is not just a super strong person versus a super strong person. They always are. Yeah. The, 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 the reason I think that Superman hasn't worked in films since Superman one mm -hmm. is the fact that Superman only works if you can get him onto like using his morals and things against him. And he has all this power, but he's trapped by all these things because Lex Luthor has a different kind of power. The second Lex Luthor puts on a kryptonite suit, I don't give a shit yeah. like it's so so the the battle in this film is a very superman versus lex luther and lex luther i mean being the corporation sort of in this thing it's not a one person it's just sort of like the government and the money and all that stuff that fits the superhero mold but the thing that makes superman a superhero movie and and i think this not is this and it is a silly conceit but it's also interesting how quickly psychologically we as a culture can get behind putting on a costume or a uniform to do things or even being rallying behind a symbol yeah and that's something that superman does that this movie does not and again do i want this movie this is this is the counterbalance to what i'm saying do i want this movie to be that he then rallies behind a symbol and makes a costume and that's going to be it no because again i think that'd be a third tonal shift that would just feel weird but but do i guess in terms of the the iconography question can a superhero movie and the point here is i think i i, I do agree with you that that iconography allows us to identify genres purely based on visuals. And even a film like Unbreakable, um, which kind of breaks that mold, <laughs> bad, ah! bad, bad choice of words there, <laughs> but, but they, he eventually gets a costume. It's not quite the costume we would imagine, but he wears this kind of hooded, uh, uh, what are those things called uh, when you're in the rain? Poncho. Yeah. yeah and, and, and it kind of becomes a costume for him. But you don't know that that's his costume until the kind of the end of the movie. And and I think, the thing is though, I, I would argue that this is very much a superhero film uh, and I think something about it is the the ironic twist that is that is that his costume is very plain and ordinary, and and I and I think there's there's something interesting as well. Just to, aside from that, to to look at the the broader context for what superhero films are supposed to fulfill, and you know, like it, it get, we get into a hairy topic here because I think, um, for example, uh, maybe this is a bad example, but. Um, I feel like John Wick, in a way, kind of becomes an odd sort of superhero esque type film. Now, and actually, that's not that's not a quite the good example. I, I disagree. It's yeah. it's the power fantasy thing we've been talking yeah, about. Yeah, the too. power fantasy is kind of the to me the key to key factor here, and it's a power fantasy in the face of 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 an opposing force that is either 
ideological or physical. But that's a shit ton of movies that have nothing to do with superheroes as well. Like you can't just use power fantasy as a as a as a stipend for that because literally every hero's journey story we've ever heard is a power fantasy. Okay, you, you, you latch yourself behind a character that has more power or agency than you actually would, and you you go forth with them down an adventure. Like again, you go to the Matrix. You go to I mean anything. You could go uh, Mission Impossible. You could go, like all of these things, and it, and it could be from training. It could be from what. Whatever. But like uh, it, th- that the power fantasy is just a thing that we do in stories, not just superhero movies. That's a, that's a very fair point. Um, I wonder if there's a, a sort of more specified way we could apply the term power fantasy as it relates to superhero. I think it might be. Let's see if we can figure this out. I know we're going a little over because of the iconography. There's a different kind of power fantasy going on. There's the power of being able to affect a situation, mm-hmm. but also the power to be weirdly acknowledged for it mm-hmm. does that let, i don't know if this is correct but let, uh, so like uh, perfect example let's go neo in the matrix okay mm-hmm. neo's not looking for throughout the entirety of the three films he's not looking for recognition or like to like at least be seen doing good things or being an inspiration for something you can do a recognition could be a whole different bunch of pots. Yeah. Um, he's just going about his thing, trying to fulfill his destiny or trying to make his world a better place through this own thing. That is a power fantasy in itself. A superhero, for instance, like any Spider-Man or even Superman being, he's supposed to be a symbol. Batman does it in the opposite direction where he's trying to be a symbol, but to strike fear in people. Like there is a legitimate, point where the power fantasy goes beyond the actual powers of the superhero but the ability to affect the way that the society or the people in the story view and react to that person so there are a number of because the superhero genre is broad and big now again it's kind of to me superhero genres uh films are in the same place that westerns were back in the late 60s yeah um and uh I wonder about a film like Super, uh, the the James Gunn film um, with uh, is it Rayan Wilson? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, which basically it's a character that has no power that creates a power fantasy for himself through iconography. It's like he creates a suit and he tries to affect change. Is that a superhero movie? You see, because because he has in, he has in this, no powers. He has no powers, and it's, maybe it's similar to Kickass as well. You know, like Kickass has powers technically. Does he? Weirdly, he doesn't. It, well, it's it's almost like the lack of power. He doesn't feel pain. His nerve receptors are all okay. So it, let's, it, let's minor, disregard. But, yeah, yeah, but let's look at Super. Which so is a, that's interesting because I don't. I would have to really sort of break it down because. No matter so Super and Batman are only separated by billions of dollars, and by right. that I mean Bruce Wayne versus yeah. the character in Super. Yeah, I mean Batman is a good example as well. But Batman's riches is also always written to the point where it is where it wealth is a superpower. Right. So I'm I'm going to even toss Batman out of this conversation because money is his superpower right. in that regard. Yeah. Super, I don't think is a superhero movie, but it is a power fantasy about an everyday person trying to fulfill that power fantasy in the best that way they can in a realistic quote unquote setting. But yeah. there aren't any superpowers. I think there's there's check boxes again yeah. in my brain to call a movie a superhero movie. And while this film, Psychokinesis, checks off many of them except for an iconography standpoint for me, and Super checks off a few of them, I'm sure, but without an actual superpower part that 
so that breaks. If we, if we were to talk about the weighting of the of the 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 elements that are required to make a superhero film, to me it sounds like uh, iconography is a sort of heavier weight than actual powers, like yes. an actual supernatural. Yes, power. but also it's it, it's it it has to be the center of the Venn diagram. It can't just be two or three things. I think at least for again, this is me. Everybody at home, you can I be, write in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com what you think the criteria for a superhero movie is. I think mine are you have to have superpowers, <laughs> you have to have an iconography, and you have to go I think if you're doing you don't need this so much anymore because it's so ingrained, but I think if it's a new superhero, uh how that power came to be and how that links to who the actual person is behind that, I think has something to say in it too. This film, Psychokinesis, I really enjoyed that it was just a meteor, that the juice got in the water, and then we don't need to worry about it. I you know the thing about this movie that uh was one of those things that I didn't enjoy was the fact that I th- I thought there was something interesting in the power um, because there's, there was even a suggestion in the film where she was like, where did he get this power? I don't know. Maybe it was when, I'm, when my mother died. And in fact, we see the meteor uh, coming down as intercut with the mother crying as she's about to die. Um, and I thought that was an interesting interplay, this idea that the, 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 the power actually originated because of the spiritual death of the mother. Oh. And, and I, you know, because it, it comes down immediately as the mother dies and we see it intercut with the mother. And then, it, and then it, it just so happens that it happens to fall upon the father. So I think, you know, there's an interesting dynamic at play there, but I don't think the film really explores it that. It doesn't do enough with it, but that that's really nice. I yeah. like that. Yeah, I, I, I think that was an interesting idea, but it's not explored in the film. Yeah. To, to a great extent. Again, I I know we want to wrap it up here, but but I think this I don't think that this is a particularly strong movie. I, I I feel you know like even watching the movie from a technical point of view, there's a lot of you can see that the movie feels a little like ham together, you know, like mismatched out. Um, there are scenes where you feel like he's at a funeral, then he's not at the funeral, and then he's back at the funeral, and you're yeah. like, oh, they kind of like just shuffle these scenes around, and they don't really make a lot of scenes. Um, and and he wanders out of like sort of a slapstick comedy scene into a really serious scene, and the tonal shifts are really jarring, and it's it's kind of that's set upon by the the first scene as well with the mother dying, which is you know again horrific to watch. I gasped out loud when yeah. it happened, um, and then we jump into the kind of a slapstick comedy, and the movie doesn't really connect those two things. But I think the broader co- the 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 reason why I think it was good to do this movie, even if it wasn't necessarily a good movie, is that it opens up a broader conversation to get us thinking about the functionality of superhero films and what they do. And I think that for me, the interesting thing that this film does is introduce a powered fantasy into a real life scenario that is recognizable for its audience. Mm-hmm. And it's a and 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 I think that has a lot of value. Imagining that you know again, bad example, but a superhero introduced during 9-11. I think, and I think if we think about what the Avengers, what a lot of movies, um, you know, this is a sort of um, the, the broader visual iconography of disaster superhero movies since 2001 uh-huh. have often borrowed from 9-11. You know, we see buildings coming down. You know, you can a Batman v Superman is is entirely um, based around know, a nine eleven a nine eleven list type scenario. You know, the Avengers kind of deals with the fallout of major events happening in New York City that feel a little bit nine eleven. The imagery feels a little bit nine eleven, and they intro- But the, what they do is 
as a power fantasy, they introduce superheroes into those scenarios. You know, so what if people were there who could help us and, and who, could, who could turn the tide of that event? Now, that's not to say all films are 9-11 focused. But that's I, what I was going to say. I, I, I don't know. It, again, that's a larger conversation because there's been movies with exploding uh, cities and uh, skyscrapers before 9-11. It's just now we think about them in, in, in American text in more of a real context, which can affect the way we watch them. Same as the effects of a, this film. Exactly. Yeah. Watching this movie, knowing that there is a real event behind it. And I think, I think there's something to think about there in terms of the functionality of what a superhero film can do and can offer the people watching the film. It offers this sort of interesting power fantasy. Um, and, I, you know, that comes back to this Terry Gilliam thing. I, I don't think that this is a, a particularly strong experience as a movie i i think it i, I think it you know for, for reasons we've outlined you know that are that are you know there are many of yeah um but but i think if you're interested in genre studies and you're interested in like uh, us trying to figure out the taxonomy of what <laughs> makes a superhero film which i think we've started to get into here i think this is worth a watch to consider it in that context um and 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 to think about it there i i you know if, you, if you're just trying to pick things on netflix to watch i would highly 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 recommend Train to Busan um, because I think that does something really, really special. Um, but Matt, your final thoughts on this movie? I guess I, I, when watching it, it's funny. The conversation has made me like it more, but I think, as you sort of said, the experience of watching it as a whole does not connect. It's, it's uh, the tone shifts. Uh, despite the fact there are lovely characters, th what the characters do with each other do not resonate whatsoever. The fact that it is based on a truish story about what happened to these people that were sort of taken away from the places of their business and the way they sort of ran their lives makes it feel like it has more weight. But watching it myself, I didn't know that at the time. So and, and the movie didn't even ever make it a point to even make that situation feel real. Mm -hmm. So uh, with the exception of the death of the mother. Yeah. So I still can't get behind that a hundred percent. Now, listen, if you are bored and want sort of a fun, weird take on a, a, a movie with a guy with superpowers in it and like to see the, the oddity of, of a, basically a Superman level of power, but flying around in like sweatpants and, and a, a middle-aged like, yeah, yeah. middle uh, South Korean man. <laughs> there is something to be said for that as well. Um, and you should, and you should check. This is a movie I would say people should check out, but I'm not going to promise that you'll like it. You yeah. won't, you won't hate it. Yeah. That's a weird thing to say, but you, I don't think this is going to be many people's favorite superhero movie, which is why when I read a lot of these reviews, I was like, yeah, I was shocked that everyone sort of felt that way. But I think, I think the reason people are responding to it is that, and you know, this is always my complaint about the, the, the sort of the superhero genre in general is that I feel like we're getting the same, same movies. So it's interesting. I think there is something to responding to a film that just is not the same is kind of different. Even and though it does follow the same beats with the exception of the very end, which is still kind of the, I don't know. That's a bigger thing. Yeah. But I, but you know, I get I mean? what you're saying. Yeah. I think it kind of like offers us an alternative point of view even though i would love it if this film like i would have loved if this film was was really successful at, at melding those genres together you know in the same way that that the host bong joon hoo's film was really successful in doing the monster genre in a different way yeah. you know what i mean or you know so so i would have if if this film had done that uh, I would I I would be very very excited about this movie. It's very unfortunate that it that it isn't. But you know, not every film can do that. Um, I, I you know don't 
it, it's an interesting film if you want to if you're really committed to the superhero genre, you know, and want to see things that are outside of the Marvel or DC cinematic universe. You or know? if you really like, I would say if you really like South Korean cinema in general, I think you could you could mm. still get something out of it. I don't think. Nah, I disagree with that. Yeah, that would be like saying if you like American movies, you could watch. Um, Ghostbusters, you know the 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 female reboot of Ghostbusters, and and enjoy it. You're I, calling it, you're calling this movie the, that no, level no. of. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying that like if you don't it, don't just because you like a a country's films doesn't necessarily mean you'll like every film in that. Country. No, 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 no. But I think if uh, again, and I'm basing this off of again my own history, the films that I've seen based on certain things. As as an I'm, this is a American uh, uh, cisgendered white male's perspective of of the South Korean cinema that I watched between 2000 and 2007, right. it feels a lot like those to me. And for that, I was like, oh, well, this feels a little bit like the stuff I used to watch. That's more of what I'm saying. Like there is a tone of action movies from there uh, around that time that this hits. Right. Um, and of course, not all South Korea. So I, I take that back. But if you like sort of the action comedy genres of those films that are in a little bit more in their blockbuster camp. Yeah. I think you'll find something here. Yeah. And I, I, th I think it's interesting that, that this is a South Korean in a way, almost a South Korean response to the superhero film because the superhero film is a predominant mode of culture we have yeah. right now. Like, so, so, you know, it would be interesting to watch, you know, superhero films from other countries and see how they play. And this, this happened as well with the Westerns. Every genre has a cycle like this, you know, like, um, you know, so we, we did see Japanese Westerns, for example, yeah. and, and American Westerns were influenced by Japanese samurai movies. And so there is this kind of inter intercultural crossplay that I think is really fascinating. I wouldn't say this is right. a great movie to watch, but I think there's a, you know, it's an interesting thing to see the response. And that might be why the reviews are so positive, even though I wouldn't give that. It, it's weird. I think David Elric's reviews from IndieWire kind of is fairly uh, praiseful of the film, but eventually he lands on a C grade. <laughs> he's like, he's talking about, oh, well, it's, it's really cool that this movie came out at the same day as Avengers Infinity War. And it's like, it does these interesting different things. But see, I think there's an interesting thing. I think there's uh, I think maybe in a lot of the reviews and maybe a little bit of ours as well. There's a there's a want for something different so bad that you're going to talk about all the great things it can do and that it will do. And it makes you talk about. But if you really have to look at the movie as just a film. Yeah, it does not. Yeah. warrant that level of 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 praise it's it's more showing us things that we're like oh yeah that would be really cool if you did this right you know what's a really good example of this uh, that that was exciting and successful last year that we we talked about what? colossal colossal yeah. took a genre that we had seen and become familiar with and did something totally unique with it totally interesting oh, with i it. want to watch that again uh, the movie's and, great and and like and and surprised us all and made and made me excited about what the potential for that genre was yeah so this is not that right you know anyway <laughs> this has been the only podcast about the film psychokinesis uh thank you so much for listening shahir when you are not busy designing your full head-to-toe lycra bodysuit complete with triple cape where can folks find you by the way this suit is very tight and and show and 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 there's a lot of overbite is all i'm gonna say that's, hey <laughs> that doesn't matter as long as as long as you feel good remember when jack black got into the spider-man suit i do it's like that oh man well, <laughs> 
where can they find you in you, this Jack you, Black-esque outfit? You can find me sweating and grinding on my website at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. I think I've just put you off your lunch and ever visiting my site. That's Matt. so funny. Now, when you are wearing your perfectly composed Wolverine costume from the 1990s-based uh, cartoon series, which is perfectly yellow, you've got the sideburns and everything, where can people find you? Where can people buy this from you? Oh, well, you can you can find me just berserker barraging all over the place at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. And you can now start seeing me or hearing me and seeing animated me uh, on Extra Credits on YouTube. Just search them on there. We just did a great uh, episode, uh, I think, that will be out around the same time as this one about uh, ladder systems in team games and how they feel awful. Um, there's some good stuff in there, so check out all Extra Credits has to offer. Also, Extra Politics. It's so good. It's so good and smart, So, and shout out to everyone who worked on that. If you're an Extra Credits listener, welcome to the podcast. Yes, and um, well, with that, I guess you will hear us next week. Where hopefully we will be diving into our hereditary or that perhaps being someone's neighbor or maybe just counting to eight we don't know which one yet yeah but we'll you know what you'll know when we do <laughs> i got nothing i was like gonna, i tried to have a joke i got and no joke just back away from the mic while we're talking like we're having a conversation we're, we're, ending, we're talking about things that i think are so important i wasn't saying anything meaningful no we didn't